snow day. Hey there, I'm Eric Olson. And I'm Kevin Daisy. Join us on our journey to building a $100 million company. Hey, what's happening? This is Eric J. Olson. In January of 2021, I published a book named Million Dollar Journey. I had the audio for that. It's on audible.com, but I'm going to share it with you right here on this podcast. So this is a chapter from the book. Some of these episodes are going to be long. Some will be short, but I'm going to read the whole thing to you. One chapter at a time. Here you go. After hearing it, let me know what you think on Instagram. I hang out there at eric.j.olson. That's E-R-I-K dot J dot Olson. And without further ado, here's a chapter from Million Dollar Journey. I moved from California to Northern Virginia in the middle of seventh grade. I experienced so many new concepts, including getting a foot of snow two to three times a year, which closed down schools. One of the first times I earned my own money was when school was out for a snow day. Unprepared for snow and still swaggering about like I was a Californian, I threw on my colorful cotton bucket hat and sunglasses and went outside to shovel the sidewalk. We didn't even have a snow shovel, so I used a garden shovel my dad had in the shed. We lived in a townhouse community, so we didn't have a driveway to shovel, but my mom made me shovel the front stoop, sidewalk, and around the car. In all, it took about half an hour. While I was outside shoveling, I realized that a lot of neighbors hadn't shoveled yet. It seemed like an opportunity. The process to get my first customer was simple. I walked up to the door and rang the doorbell. When they opened the door, I asked if they wanted their sidewalk shoveled. The going price? 10 bucks, and almost everyone accepted. When I was done shoveling, I knocked on the door again and received my payment. It was fairly easy work, fast, and I enjoyed it, so I repeated the process. I got several more customers that first day and shoveled snow for hours. After I'd shoveled a few neighbors' sidewalks, I had my fill for the day. I put the shovel back and walked around until I joined my friends to play in the snow. They got more playing time than I did, but I had about $40 in my pocket, and they didn't. And $40 is a ton of money when you're in seventh grade. It snowed more that night, and the next day I was able to get more shoveling gigs. I even went back to some of my customers from the previous day to freshen up their sidewalks. I gave them a discount since most of the heavy lifting had already been done. Repeat business for the win. Each time it snowed, I went out shoveling. It was easy money, and there wasn't much competition. But it was also not exactly a predictable income source. Coming by opportunities can be simple if you're willing to look for them. As a teenager, you're willing to do almost anything to make a few bucks. Why does that ambition dissolve as we age? Lawnmower Man As the winter turned to spring, my neighbors and I had a new problem. Each homeowner was responsible for maintaining their small front and backyards, and everybody's lawns were now growing. We had a gas push mower, and my parents assigned me the chore of cutting our grass. Like shoveling the snow in the winter, cutting grass was fairly quick because of the small yards. It only took me about 20 minutes to cut and trim my front and backyards. I recognized from my snow shoveling days that some of my neighbors would probably like their lawns cut, 
I started knocking on the doors of the neighbors who had hired me to shovel their snow a couple of months earlier. Turns out, most of them were interested in having me cut their grass as well. I started off by charging just $7 to cut their front and backyards. That seemed like a good deal since it only took about 20 minutes for me to cut my lawn. We lived in an end unit, which meant that I had quick access to go between the front and the backyards. But only about 1 in 10 houses was an end unit. That meant the majority of my customers lived in interior units. And the walk around the front and the backyard was pretty far and time-consuming because I had to walk all the way around connected townhomes to get to the back. Sometimes the back gate was locked and I had to walk back to the front, knock on the door, and ask them to open the back gate, then walk back around. When I was done cutting the back, around to the front I walked again to collect payment. I quickly realized that I was spending about half of my time in transition from the front to backyards. The time to cut each lawn had just doubled. I decided to raise my price. I quoted the next neighbor at $10. I wasn't sure what their response was going to be, so this was a big experiment. I can only imagine how bad I delivered my sales pitch the first time I raised my rates. I was pretty nervous, but to my surprise, it worked. I had just successfully given myself a 42% raise and had established a new going rate. I left my old lawnmower customers at their normal rate, but new customers paid the higher rate. Don't be afraid to raise your prices. Many customers won't even be able to perceive the difference in small increases, especially if they are new customers and don't know your previous price. Turns out, grass grows for more than half the year and my customers continue to need my services. I ended up cutting about seven lawns on a regular basis that first summer. With shoveling snow, I had discovered reoccurring revenue. The jobs repeated but they were still individual projects that had defined end dates. They were also unpredictable because they depended on the weather. It was either feast or famine, a ton of work or none at all. With cutting grass, I had discovered recurring revenue, at least during the long growing season. It was predictable. Every summer, customers needed my services Week after week, I could plan around it. Reoccurring revenue comes from projects which have clear start and end dates. You have to continue to find project work. Recurring revenue comes from recurring services provided to the same customer, and the need is always present. Even though I had experienced recurring revenue early in my entrepreneurial journey, the lesson did not sink in. I did not recognize the magic of the moment. When you find yourself in a scenario where you can sell once and service the same customer over and over again, you've found recurring revenue. This is important because prospecting for new customers can be tough, time-consuming, and expensive. It's not easy to convince the prospect that you have a good offering that is worth their money. Persuading them to buy is even more difficult. Recurring revenue is the most sought-after revenue source in the business world 
because the revenue continues into the future without a defined end date. Once you have customers in a recurring revenue model, your goal is to keep them there as long as possible. That means you must provide professional work with exceptional customer service. Your focus for each customer shifts from selling them to servicing them, and that's where your customers want you to focus. You don't want to continue to sell to the same customer. Instead, you want to service that customer. As a customer, you don't want to be sold to repeatedly, but you do need the work done. I barely started to recognize the value of customer service during my grass cutting days. If I didn't do a good job cutting, or if I failed to show up when I said I was going to, you know teenagers, not exactly the most reliable bunch. Or if I left a mess behind, then the customer was not happy with me. Although I did piss off some customers, they were quite forgiving of the neighborhood teenage boy who was hustling to make a few bucks. They almost always gave me a pass. In retrospect, I wish they would have been tougher on me so that I recognized the consequences of screwing up. That would have helped me later in life. Skate or die. By my sophomore year in high school, I was big time into skateboarding. I wanted a new skateboard and it wasn't going to be cheap. I didn't even bother asking my parents for the money because I knew they'd say no to such an expensive toy. I was no longer cutting grass, so I needed another way to raise money. I had noticed in school that if a kid wanted candy and didn't have any at the time, they would be willing to pay another kid for their candy. I conducted an experiment. I got on my bike and rode to the local grocery store. Looking around the candy aisle, I found bags of blow pops. If you're not familiar with blow pops, they are rather large lollipops and have a gum-filled center. I bought a bag of blow pops and brought them to school the next day. I wasn't sure how to price them, so I started at 50 cents each. Sure enough, kids were interested and bought them. I sold out of that first bag, so I bought more that afternoon and sold out again the following day. Each time I sold my blow pops, I'd almost always sell just one blow pop at a time. That led to two problems for me. The first was that I wasn't selling much to each customer. I wanted each kid to buy more than one and to make more money with each sale. The second problem was that I needed a lot of coins because most people gave me a dollar and I had to make change for them. So I tried a new pricing model. In addition to selling them for 50 cents each, I also sold them three for a dollar. The response? Almost everyone bought three for a dollar. In one fell swoop, I had addressed several problems. I was selling more to each customer, the value proposition had increased, and I didn't have to make nearly as much change. Figure out what's stopping your customers from buying from you. If you think it's the price, try a different price or a different way of pricing. Make it easy for someone to buy from you and make sure they find value in your offering. Quickly, I stopped selling Blow Pops individually and only sold three for a dollar. Business was brisk, and after about two weeks, I had made the $150 I needed for my new badass skateboard. I made my money just in time, too. The principal had caught on to what I was doing, which was against school rules, so I stopped before getting busted.
Of course, I'm not recommending that you try to slide under the legal radar in your business dealings, but I am hoping you're following along with the lessons I learned about finding nearby opportunities. Since you are an entrepreneur, I am sure you have similar stories about your early business endeavors as well. Be on the lookout for problems to solve. Be resourceful and you'll find a way to earn money quickly. And above all else, don't get busted by the principal. Measured mile. Fast forward several years. After graduating from Virginia Tech with a BS in civil engineering, I became a construction project manager. Years passed by, I got married, and we bought an old house. I had the skills to do most of the renovation work myself, but also needed to hire a few contractors. I had a hard time finding qualified contractors and came up with an idea. At the time, around 1999, the internet was just starting to catch on. I thought, wouldn't it be cool if there was a website where homeowners like me could find qualified contractors to hire? Think Angie's List, but in the early internet days before many people, including me, had heard of it. I didn't know how to build a website, but I knew that the local Barnes & Noble had a huge book selection on programming. I bought several books, read each cover to cover, and slowly started to build a website. I bought the name measuredmile.com for the website. A measured mile is a term previously used by engineers that referred to the exact length of a mile. In other words, it was the standard that others were measured against. I thought that was clever and I went with it. I kept playing with the website, making it more complex each time I sat down. I poured hours into it most nights and weekends and it slowly grew more sophisticated. At one point, I had a problem with the user registration page. That page contained a password field which was masked so someone could not see what had been typed into it. And a second masked field used to confirm they typed in the same password. Problem was, I had no idea how to compare what they entered into each field to ensure they were the same. Realizing I was stuck, I hired a freelancer to solve the problem. He gave me the code that compared the password fields and provided the user with feedback if the fields weren't the same. I studied his code up and down and had him explain to me what it was doing before I added it to the website. As I kept running into other programming obstacles, I went back to him for more help. Again, he'd code the solution and give it to me to add to the website. And as usual, I'd study it inside and out. Within a few weeks, he was providing less in the way of actual code solutions and more in the way of giving me ideas on how to solve coding problems myself. He had turned into a mentor and my programming abilities improved rapidly. I wasn't sure how I could make money from the website, but I knew I had to try. I hadn't spent all that time and money just for fun. I had created a marketplace of buyers, the homeowners, and sellers, the contractors, but I didn't have either of them on the website yet. I had the proverbial chicken and egg problem. How could I get buyers without sellers and vice versa? I volunteered to create accounts for several contractors I worked with at my day job as a construction project manager. With that 
half of my marketplace was seeded. I started to get traffic to the website, including homeowners, and they were even requesting projects of contractors. Slowly but surely, more homeowners and contractors signed up. Contractors were getting leads and making money, but I wasn't. I had heard of affiliate marketing and decided to give it a shot. Affiliate marketing is where you send someone to a third-party website and you get a small commission if they buy something. At the time, Amazon.com had already branched out into other items besides books. I joined their affiliate program and found that they had a bunch of construction-related books and tools such as cordless drills and tape measures that I could post to my site. When someone clicked from my site to Amazon and bought something, then I'd make a small amount. By small amount, I mean it. One holiday shopping season, I made a whopping 20 bucks in commissions from Amazon. Eager to make more money from my measured mile idea, I even tried selling banner ads to local businesses. A mortgage company owner reached out to me and bought a banner ad for $30 a month. I created the image for the ad, posted it to my homepage, and sent them a bill for the $30. After months of asking for payment for the ad, and after months of him ghosting me, I gave up trying to collect from him. In retrospect, it would have been a good idea to collect payment before publishing his ad. The website was live for years, but it never really took off. In the end, it was a financial failure. I spent $5,000 on the freelancer and made less than 100 bucks. Even though I had created a pretty good website that could have been useful to a lot of people, I just didn't know how to get enough people interested in it. Contrary to the movie, Field of Dreams, I built it, but they did not come. Frankly, my marketing chops at the time needed some serious help. I knew the product was good, but what good was it if I didn't know how to let people know about it? It seemed like a solid product wasn't enough. Solid marketing was required as well. Not having a solid marketing plan was a mistake I'd repeat more than once before it sank in. How are you going to let people know about your creation? Where will customers come from? How much money will you spend in marketing? Will all the effort and cost be worth it in the end? Even though the website was a bust, I had learned a valuable skill, computer programming. Sometime later, as I got frustrated with the construction industry and saw my friends making fortunes in IT, I switched careers to programming. So the experience proved incredibly valuable after all. I put in hundreds of hours and spent thousands of dollars, but I could now command a higher salary in an emerging and exciting field. After a couple of years as a programmer, I knew I was one of the better programmers out there. I loved coding, but I also felt like my career was drifting along in random directions. I wasn't sure where all of this was going. Although I knew I had talent, I also felt pent up and frustrated. At the time, I wasn't aware that I was on a journey, but I was. My work in snow shoveling, mowing lawns, and selling candy gave me general business knowledge. My early work in building websites gave me specific knowledge on how to use the internet to build a business. Both types of knowledge, general 
and specific were critical for my path to success. Both types will be critical to your success as well. Like me, you likely have experiences from your past that you can now look back on with more mature eyes and recognize the rich learning experiences for what they were. When you connect your past experiences with your present, the combined value comes into sharper focus. Where are you going? I'm a firm believer that entrepreneurs need general business knowledge as well as a specialization in the field before they launch their own company. It takes time and experience to understand how business works. In your general learning phase, it's key to learn how to work with other people. You can be a technical genius with a strong skill, but if you don't have a basic understanding of human nature and communication skills, then you are bound to bump into issue after issue when trying to scale your brilliance beyond yourself. You also need real-world experience in a specific area. If you don't already have a hard skill or a skill you're passionate enough about to dedicate the next decade or so to, then start studying and practicing. You need to know where you are going and in what specific area you want to become an expert. I've changed careers three times now, not counting my teenage endeavors. Starting as a civil engineer, I transitioned to a software developer and then into a digital marketer. With each of those transitions, I studied the industry that I was moving into. When I most recently transitioned into digital marketing, I first followed online influencers in the industry. I wanted to understand what they thought was important. That led to a need for a deeper understanding of industry topics, so I subscribed to multiple industry magazines and read books by famous copywriters and admin. Little by little, I learned more, applied my knowledge, and honed my craft. Enough so that eventually I started hosting in-person marketing meetups and addressing audiences in the marketing community. I knew where I was going, even if I didn't know my exact path to get there. Chapter takeaways. Number one, the difference between reoccurring revenue and recurring revenue is significant. Number two, recurring revenue aligns your interests with your customers' interests. Number three, when you're on the lookout for opportunity, you'll often find it right in front of you. Number four, if you can solve someone's problem, they'll pay you for the solution. Number five, when you want to buy something new, try to find a way to raise the money you need. Number six, when stuck, find an expert who can get you unstuck. Number seven, it's better to get paid up front than to hope to get paid afterwards. Number eight, not everything you try in business will be a success, but each experience provides you with both general and specific business skills that you will use later in your journey. And finally, number nine, leverage your past business experience to start surveying the entrepreneurial journey that lies ahead of you. If you like this podcast and you know a lawyer who wants to grow their law firm practice, tell them to check out ArrayLaw.com. 
Array Digital exclusively serves managing partners who want to aggressively grow their law firm. ArrayLaw.com. 